Thank you. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are going to be um, today, the last Sunday before school starts. It's going to be good. You're going to love it. You are going to love it. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 15 uh, through 16 uh, this uh, morning. And, and today I'm doing what is called a standalone message, meaning that um, uh, this message is not a part of a series. We're actually uh, in between series right now. Last week uh, we ended our series on uh, the names of God. And uh, next week we are going to have a guest speaker uh, by the name of John Reed. Uh, John is an evangelist. Um, out of uh, Atlanta, and he is going to come here, and he is going to share with us um, on how to share the gospel with our friends. Because of on October the 29th, you want to write this down on your calendar, on October 29th, we are going to have what's called a friend day, when you will bring a friend to church. How many of you have friends? <laughs> Okie dokie. First prayer is you get friends. All right, so on October 29th, we're going to challenge you and ask you to uh, invite your friend, your friends to church because John Reed will come back on October 29th and he's going to share the gospel uh, because we want your friends to go to heaven just like you. Amen? That's what we want, so be sure and mark that down on your calendar. And then um, on August the 20th, uh, the week after John Reed speaks next week, then we'll pick up um, our fall sermon series. We're going to pick up uh, back in the book of Acts, which we were doing in the springs. We're going to continue on um, in the fall on the book of Acts, and I've titled that series, um, Acts the Unstoppable Church, because what we're going to look at in uh, this fall is we're going to look at lots of things that were thrown at the church, but the church never stopped. Amen? So that's what we're going to look at, and I pray that you will be a part of us as we move forward uh, this fall. But today, today I want to preach on the topic of time. And I've titled today's message, Making or Make the Most of Your Time. That word time, when you read Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, you will see uh, that that word time is used over 600 different times. Listen to what the Bible has to say about time. Psalm 31, the psalmist says this, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, and I say, you are my God and my times are in your hand. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In the book of Ecclesiastes, written by the wisest man besides Jesus, the wisest man named Solomon, he wrote this in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. In verse 11 of that same chapter, he said this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Paul writes this, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son at just the right time. The Bible has a lot to say about time and what we do with our time, yet today there are more time-saving devices than ever existed to mankind. Would you agree with that? Yet we still have a problem, right? We still don't have enough time. 
We still don't know where time went. Uh, We're always a dollar late and a day short, and we just can't seem to get it all done. We are running out of time. We don't have time to do this well. What does God say about time? I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, and I want us to look at what I call God's time management plan. And just maybe, and just maybe, we will get out on time this morning. (laughs) Probably not. Ephesians 5. I want you to follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to break this down, give you a background so we can understand what Paul is saying uh, to the church at Ephesus and what he's saying to us today in 2023. And it reads, Therefore, be careful. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, in making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, let me give you a little context here to the book of Ephesians, because we're just jumping into these verses. We need to understand what the context is so that we can properly understand and properly apply Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 to our lives. Well, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's in prison in Rome at this time. But earlier in Paul's life, Paul has gone to visit Ephesus. If you remember, Paul went on three missionary journeys. On the second missionary journey, Paul goes to Ephesus for a few days, and he says this, hey, I'm going to come back to you. And so on Paul's third missionary journey, he comes back to Ephesus. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 19. And uh, excuse me, Acts 19. Now, what is going on, right? Go to Acts 19. Um, There we find out what Paul was doing in Ephesus that's going to give us context to understand Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. So Paul goes to Ephesus, he starts the church, he builds up the church, and he shares the gospel with the entire city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is about 300,000 people. It's a a huge, bustling city. And so look in verse number 8 of Acts Acts chapter 19, and just catch an idea of what is going on in Ephesus. And it reads, and Paul entered the synagogue, and he continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, now the way is the way of Jesus Christ. They began speaking evil of Christianity. He withdrew, Paul withdrew from them, and he took away the disciples, and he began reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now look at verse number 11, and here's the result of of what Paul did. And God performed extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So what we see in uh, Acts chapter 19 is that for two years, Paul used his time to share the gospel with the Greeks and with the Jews. Our text says that he, that he dialogued or that he reasoned with them. Uh, that word reason, it's the Greek word uh, dialogue, which is where we get our word dialogue. And so every day, I want you to get this picture because this is setting up Ephesians 5. So every day, Paul would have a conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ. Paul in Ephesus, every day he used his time to talk about the kingdom of God. 
Now, why would Paul use his time to share the gospel, to talk about the kingdom of God with those in Ephesus. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. In Ephesus was a huge temple. It's actually a temple that is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And here's a picture of it. This is called the Temple of Artemis, or the Temple of Diana. And as I said, it is one of the seven ancient wonders of this world. And life in Ephesus revolved around the Temple of Artemis. Everything about life took place there in the temple. It was, if you want to talk about economy, you went there. If you want to talk about the government, you went there. If you wanted to have relationships, you went there. If you wanted to be a place of worship, there you went. Now let me just tell you that what took place at the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, it was not a good godly place to be. Maybe akin to Washington, D.C., I don't know. <laughs> Just maybe, I don't know. It wasn't good. Are you with me? Nothing good was taking place inside and around the temple of Artemis. But everything about the Ephesians, those in Ephesus, everything they did in life, it revolved around this temple, this worship of the god, this goddess worship of, of Artemis or by the name of Diana. Um, look over in Acts chapter 19 verse 24. We find out something else that takes place um, in Ephesus, and this is a big story. As a matter of fact, what we're about to read actually causes Paul and his disciples to leave Ephesus. Look in verse number 24. Watch what happens in Ephesus. It says, it's for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. In other words, Demetrius, he's making a lot of money. And he's making money off of making shrines of Artemis. Now look at verse 25, because Demetrius, he gathers all the businessmen together, and he gathers them together, and he says this in verse 25. He says, men... You know that our prosperity, our economy, where we get our money, everything that we have, it comes upon this business of building shrines to Artemis. Verse 26, he says, you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Verse 27, not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, meaning this, we're going to lose our money, we're going to lose everything we have because of this man named Paul preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God. But he says, not only will we lose our businesses and our life, but the temple of Artemis will be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worships will be dethroned from her magnificence. In verse 28, Demetrius so convinced these people in Ephesus, he convinced them, and it says in verse 28, they were filled with rage, and they began to cry, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And what happens next, if you continue reading Acts chapter 19, this big uproar, this uprising 
takes place in Ephesus, all of these thousands and thousands of people run into this huge amphitheater in Ephesus, and they just start chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They just chant this on and on and on and on for hours and hours. I mean, they have been worked up by this man named Demetrius. Demetrius worked these people up so much that the people went after Paul and his disciples. And at the end of chapter 19, Paul and his disciples leave the city of Ephesus. It's a pretty big deal. Paul has spent two years there, two years of his time sharing the gospel, and he's run out of the city. Wow. And what we see about the Ephesians... And what we see about the city of Ephesus is this. They chose the kingdom of Artemis over the kingdom of God. Are you with me? They chose the ways of the world versus the ways of God. Now I want you to listen to me. I want to make a connection here. Every generation, every person, every city, every generation, every person has an opportunity to be a kingdom builder. We all have an opportunity to be, to be kingdom builders, but you have to decide what kingdom you are going to build. Are you going to build your kingdom, or are you going to build God's kingdom? Those are the only two options when it comes to building a kingdom. But listen, students, listen, as you're about to go to school, teachers, as, you go about, as you're about to go back to school, listen, every generation has an opportunity. You have a time, you have a moment where you can be a kingdom builder. It's either going to be your kingdom or God's kingdom. And what we see from the life of Ephesus is they chose, they chose their own kingdom. If you look through the rest of the Old Testament, excuse me, the New Testament, you will see what Ephesus did. Ephesus was filled with false doctrine. You go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you stay in Ephesus because they are going after false gods. You teach against false doctrine. You teach against what is, what is wrong, and you teach what is right. But Timothy, you stay there. Paul writes later to Ephesians, uh, to the city of Ephesus, which we'll read again here in a moment, that, that you need to make the most of your time because the days are evil. But one of the last references that we have of the city of Ephesus is found in the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 2. And it may be one of the saddest commentaries ever written about a church. Now, if you know anything about the book of Revelation, in Revelation 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, there are the seven letters to the seven churches. Anybody familiar with that? The first letter, the first church that received a letter, guess what church it was? Ephesus. And John the Revelator, through his interaction and his encounter with the resurrected Savior Jesus, writes this. Jesus, through the pen of John to Ephesus, says this, I have this against you in Revelation 2.4. You Ephesians, you've done great things, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. It's the last mention of the Ephesians. Now, here's what's interesting. When John the Revelator wrote those words, he wrote those words 30 years after Paul started the church in Ephesus. Every generation has an opportunity. Are you with me? Every generation has an opportunity to be a, kingdom, be a kingdom builder, either your kingdom or God's kingdom. Well, 
Go back with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Y'all still awake this morning? Y'all with me? Y'all still tracking with me? Stay with me. Let's make, we'll connect all the dots here. So you have an idea of what's going on in Ephesus. You have an idea of why Paul is now writing to uh, the Ephesians. Uh, and why he writes the book of Ephesians. In chapter 5, verse 15, he says this. Listen, you need to make the most of your time. Now, why does Paul write that? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why Paul writes to those in Ephesus why they need to make the most of their time. And I want to make the applications with you this morning. I want you to write this down. Number one, making the most of your time begins when you live a life of wisdom. You live a life of wisdom. You want to make the most of time, Paul is going to tell us, you need to live a life of wisdom. Look at our text, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, when you and I, when we read Scripture and we see the word therefore, what's the first question we ask? Why is therefore? Three of you got it. Fantastic. Anytime you read Scripture, and there comes a term of conclusion, therefore, you've got to ask, why is the writer writing a conclusion? Why did Paul say, therefore? Why did he say, be careful how you walk? Why is he giving us a conclusion? What did he just say? Well, if you were to look at Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins to tell us how to walk. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it's doctrine, it's theology. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We are one with Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, it tells us how to walk. And so Ephesians 4, Paul begins with these words, that you need to walk not as the Gentiles walk. In other words, you don't walk like the Gentiles that we see at the temple of Artemis. Are you with me? You don't do that. Now, why do you not walk as the Gentiles walk? Because in, Ephes in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, this is what Paul tells us. He says that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. You no longer walk according to darkness. You now walk according to the light because Jesus, the Savior, has saved you from the darkness. You are now right with God. You're now seated with him in the heavenlies. That's who you are in the heavenlies. Now, here on earth, don't walk like those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what he says. So starting in Ephesians 4, he says, you don't walk as the Gentiles walk. In Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, here's what Paul does. Now, I'm about to get pretty rough. You ready? Because Paul says some tough stuff. And let me tell you what Paul says. Paul says, believers... You don't walk as Gentiles do, which means this. And students, listen. Everybody listen to this. He says, there is to be no ounce of sexual immorality among you. That's what he says. Zero. He says there's to be no sexual immorality among you. This idea of sexual immorality the root Greek word for that is where we get our word today, pornography. And Paul to believers says, you don't do that. Do you know why he says don't do that? Because this was taking place in the temple of Artemis. 
people would go there and they would practice sexual immorality. And Paul says, no, you choose to follow me. You've given your life to me. Jesus says, you've given your life to me. Then you don't do those things that the world does. You don't do that. Your body is for me. It's not for anybody else, but for you, your spouse, and for me. That's it, period. And so students, no sexual immorality, zero. And, and, and I just challenge anybody today that if you're involved in any sexual immorality, you gotta stop. You gotta stop. Because you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the name of Jesus Christ. Well, don't you feel good this morning? <laughs> Paul then goes on to say in Ephesians 4 and 5, then he also says, for those who who maybe don't have, uh, don't struggle with sexual immorality, he then goes into, he says this, then don't be greedy. He says, you don't go following after the, you don't go following after money. You don't do everything for money. Do we need money to live? Yes. Would you like more money? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can never have enough, right? But you don't make it your God. And this is what Paul says, you, you are not greedy. No sexual immorality, no greed. And then he goes on to say this, no coarse talk, no bad talk comes out of your mouth. Men, no locker room talk, that's what it says. I guess ladies can have locker room talk as well. But are you with me? He says, you don't do that, why? Because that's what the Gentiles do. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you live differently. And so he says, you don't walk as the Gentiles walk. In Ephesians 5, 1, he says, you walk in love. Later on in Ephesians 5, he says, you walk in light. And here in verse number 15, he says, you be careful and you walk in wisdom. Now let me tell you, I want you to look at that phrase. Are y'all still with me? I want you to go back and look at that phrase, therefore, be careful. Look at that phrase in your, in your Bible. That, that phrase, be careful, it's the Greek word akribos, A-K-R-I-B-O-S, akribos. And it literally means to walk accurately. It means to walk precisely. It means don't be sloppy in your living. That's what it means. He says, you walk the straight and narrow. He says, you be accurate in your life. Let me see if I can give an illustration for this. A few years ago, um, I coached the Risley Middle School girls basketball to their greatest year in school history. <laughs> Two wins, it's pretty good. We beat Needwood though, that's all that matters. We beat Needwood. Uh, but one of, one of the things that we did in, in coaching girls basketball is this, I just worked on, the, I worked on the fundamentals to teach them the fundamentals of the game. And one of those things was um, how to make good passes. Making a good pass is important in basketball. Would you agree with that? And so we would practice passing the ball. The two-handed chest pass, two-handed bounce pass. Uh, we would even do one-handed baseball passes. We would, we would work a lot on passing. We want to make good passes. Well, every once in a while, I would have to participate with one of the girls because we had an odd number. 
And so I would be passing the ball back and forth, and an overwhelming majority of the time, the girl, whoever it was, um, would be really good at making good passes. But ever so often, she would get a little lazy and throw one way over my head across to the other side of the gym. And you know what I would say? Go get it. I'm not going to get it. And then she would come back, and I would say, all right, that was a sloppy, lazy pass. When you make a pass, you hit me right here. Are you with me? When you make a pass, it's you hit me in the hands. Hit me right here. That's Acrebos. That's you be careful. And Paul says to us, how do you make the most of your time? You live the right life. You've been called, listen, students, college students, everybody listen, you have been called out of darkness. You have been called out of darkness. You've been called to live a higher standard of life. Is it difficult? Adults, what do we say? Yes. It's hard. It is difficult. But we're called to live a higher standard of living. Well, pastor, what about grace? What about grace? Yes, we are grace. We have grace. God does give us grace. But God offering us grace does not lower our standard of living. Are you with me? Just because, oh yeah, God says, I will forgive you, it doesn't mean you continue to live with the pigs at the temple of Artemis. You live higher. You live higher above the Gentiles. And you live accurately. You look at uh, the King James Version, it will say, it will say, circumspectly. Therefore, you be circumspect. That word circumspect, circumspect has the idea of you look around because you're walking up a steep mountain and to the side of that is nothing but a drop off. You keep walking straight up that mountain. You keep your eyes forward and you don't slip. And you live a wise life. Meaning you do what's right. Now question, are we doing this so that we can earn salvation? No, that's not the context. The context is you have already been what? Saved. You've been saved. Now you live differently. So you want to make the most of your time. You want to make the most of your time. It begins with all of us living a wise life. Are you with me? Here's number two because I'm running out of time. I spent more time on that than I thought I would. Here's number two, and this is found in verse number 16. You live a wise life, and number two, you leverage the moment. You leverage the moment. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Two things I want to share with you about, uh, about verse number 16. That word time, there's two Greek words for time, uh, chronos and keros. Chronos means like time, 12 o'clock, 12.30, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, that's when we will get out of here. That's, that's chronos, Okay. It's not what he's using here. The Greek word he's using is kairos, which means the moment, the, the season, a, an, an age. Are you with me? 
So he's not talking about, oh, I need to manage my time. At one o'clock, I'm doing this. At two o'clock, that's what he's talking about. What he's saying is, you need to mo- make the most of this time that you're in. God knows when you were born, and God knows when you are going to die. That's your time. That's your time. He's not going to give you more on the other side of your leaving this earth. So he says, you need to make the most of your time. But when you see here, when Paul says, make the most of your time, because the days are evil, here's what you got to understand about this phrase. In Ephesus, this was called a colloquialism. Anybody know that term? I've had to practice that term, looking in the mirror, and how I can pronounce that correctly. I nailed it. Do you know what a colloquialism is? What it is, is it's a phrase that is informal. Meaning you don't use this phrase in a paper. It's when you're talking with somebody. The phrase, making the most of your time, in Ephesus, that was a common phrase. People in the market would use this phrase. It's a colloquialism like you and I would say today, you're pulling my leg, or it's raining cats and, or Nick Saban is the devil. You know, there's there's some colloquialisms, (laughs) right? Totally teasing. He's not. He's not. But in Paul's day, you would hear this phrase a lot. And you'd often hear this phrase in the marketplace right outside the temple of Artemis. And that marketplace was called the Agora, A-G-O-R-A. And so whenever you would go into the Agora, that's where you would shop, the marketplace, right? You'd see something that you like in the market, and then you would buy that thing. Well, this term of make the most of your time, it's the Greek word exagorazo, which means this, to buy back because you deem it worthy. So picture this, those in Ephesus, they know exactly what this term means. So those in Ephesus, they go to the agora, they go to the market, and they look on the shelves or in the baskets, and they find something, and they deem that something worthy. They say, I want that. And when they say, I want that, what they do is ex agorazo, they take that from that person, they redeem it and make it their own. Does that make sense? Actually, the King James Version says that we need to redeem our time. This ex agorazo is the same term when it says that Jesus redeems us. Jesus redeems us. He sees that we are worthy. He rescues us from the, from the grasp of devil, of, of Satan and darkness. He rescues us and he makes us have a purpose. And so here's what Paul says. You need to, you need to be careful how you walk, not as wise, excuse me, not as unwise, but as wise. And you need to make the most of your time, meaning you need to ex agorazo the time. You need to buy back that time because you believe it to be worthy. It's worthy. Let me give you an illustration. I think this will work. Let's say moms and dads, you have your sons and your daughters, and let's say you give, you give uh, your son or your daughter, you give them a, um, an allowance. Anybody ever do that anymore? I don't know. You give them an allowance. Let's say $25 a week. That will buy you nothing today. Amen? But let's just go with that because I need easy math. So let's say at the end of a month, four weeks, your son or your daughter will now have Common Core Math, $100, yes, $100. 
And let's say mom or dad, at the end of that month, you are going to go into your son or your daughter's room because you want to ask them, hey, what are you going to redeem with that money? What are you going to purchase with that money? That's your idea. And let's say you walk into the room, and you walk into the room, and all you see are all of these candy wrappers on the floor. Reese's, peanut butter cups, Snickers, Twix, and there's every, all types of candy are on the floor. And so moms and dads, you would say something along the line, you'd say something like this, where in the world did this come from, right? And your son or your daughter would say, well, I bought it. Where did, you, with, with what? And your son, well, I bought it with, with my money. At this point, moms and dads, you are about to lose it, amen? You are about to lose it. And it's at that point, you as a mom or dad, you should say something like this. Well, that was a waste of money. Because what you just purchased, it is what? Gone. Are you with me? Are you with me, church? It's gone. And Paul says, you don't waste your time. Because if you waste your time, it's gone. You don't get more time. None of us get more time. And Paul says that we, if we are going to make the most of our time, we need to leverage every moment that we have. And that we would invest our time into things that are not wasteful, but we invest in things that are eternal. And this is what Paul says. At the end of verse 16, he says, let me tell you why you do this. You do it because the days are evil. That's what he says. The days are evil. Another translation, and I like this translation, says this. You don't... You, you don't waste your time because these are desperate days. Isn't that, a good, isn't that a good translation? Do you think we're living in desperate days today? Yeah, absolutely we are. We are living in desperate days. Ephesus was too. Ephesus was as well. And Paul said to the believers in Ephesus, he said this, you live a wise life and you leverage the moments you have because you're not going to get this moment again. And these days are evil. So he says, you be careful. You be careful how you live. You be careful how you walk. You walk a wise life. You do what's right. You make the most of the opportunity that you have in front of you right now, this age, this moment. In high school, you only get it once. In college, you only get it once. Some of you. But are, are you with me? You do that because these days are evil. As I was uh, preparing to preach this message, I, I, I really, really wrestled. I was, I was like, God, okay, why, why is this on my mind, the idea of time? And so I really spent a good portion of my study time for this 
on answering the question, why do I want to preach on time? All right, and I came, with, came down to three conclusions that I want to share with you, then we're going to, then we're going to close. And the first reason that I wanted to preach on this text is, I simply asked the Lord, Lord, would you show me what text you want? And he, he impressed this on my heart. He impressed it on my heart, and so out of obedience, I just want to be obedient to him. The second reason why I I wanted to preach on this topic was because of this. I personally want to make the most of my time. I personally want to make the most of my time. I'm not old, but I'm not getting younger. There's many things that I want to see in my own personal life, spiritually and in this church and, and on and on and on. But last week, this, kind of, this, this is kind of where this all came from. Last week, my entire family went on a vacation and we got to go up to the North Georgia mountains and, and uh, my entire family, my brother and his family and my parents came along, it was fantastic. Well, one day we went up uh, to uh, a lake, uh, at Lake Chatug, Chatuga, Chatug, that one. That's where we went, and um, we rented a boat. Now, I'm not a boat man. I'm I just, growing up in West Texas, there was no water, <laughs> okay? Um, but I proudly let you know, I took a seven-minute boating class. I now have my boat's license. Just want to let you know that, <laughs> all right? So we, we rent a boat. We drive around, boat around, speed around. This beautiful lake, we had a tube and all of our kids, they, they, they got behind the boat and they tubed, it was fantastic. But then it was my time to tube and then my dad said, well, I'll join with you. Now my dad's 75 years old. I mean, if he falls off the tube, he's gonna break a leg. <laughs> but my dad and I, we went tubing. Here I am. 47 and a 75-year-old man. There's not many 75-year-olds that would go tubing, amen? And I just remember reflecting that night the next morning and saying, yeah, I don't want to stop. Are you with me? I don't want to stop. I don't want to get to an age and say, well, I'm done. I quit. No, no, I want to keep going. I want to make the most of the time. I don't know if I'll ever be 75, I don't know. You don't know what your end is well, but but you got to make the most of your time. What you have. And we don't know when that time will end. So you got to make the most of it now. You have to make the most of your time now. Not tomorrow, but now. You know, psychologists have said this. They said there's basically two things that that humans, that they need in life. Number one is they want to be loved. They want security. They want to be loved. And without love, you can go crazy. Amen? You can go crazy, and you've seen this. You've, You've seen people who who've smothered you because they want your love, but they don't, know how to ha- they don't know how to love, and so you push them away, right? We've seen that. But for 
to find life, you, 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 want, you, want to be, you want to be loved. The other thing is this, that, that all people want a sense of purpose. They want something that's bigger than them. Listen to me, children of God. You have a purpose that is way bigger than you can ever think or imagine. And God has given you this time to live out that purpose. Teachers, you're about to go to school. You've been in school. Students are about to show up on Tuesday. Some of you are rejoicing. Some of you may be saying, oh my goodness, not another year, right? But teachers, can I, can I tell you something? This is your time. This is your time. This is your opportunity as children of God to invest and to pour into these students. Well, pastor, I, 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 can't, I can't share the gospel with them. Yes, you can. You just don't start the conversation. But when they come to you at the right time, you make the most of it. And so, teachers, I ask of you that today that you begin to pray for that time that you can pour into them. Students, you're about to go to school. And every single one of you are thrilled beyond their wildest imagination. But know this, this is your time. This is your time. This is your time where you're investing in friends, friends are pouring into you. This is your time where that you can make a difference in somebody's life. Whether you say no to the ungodly things, you say yes to the godly things. Yeah, you may be ridiculed. Yeah, you may be persecuted. Yeah, somebody may not friend you. Somebody may dislike you, not follow you on all of these social media. Wonderful. But now's your time. Now's your time. Make the most of it. You make the most of it. You do what's right. You live a wise life. And you leverage the moment. And what it says of Paul in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, what it says is, and God did the miraculous through Paul. May it be so through you students, and may it be through you teachers. Amen? I want us to go into a time of prayer. And um, here, here's what I'm going to do at this moment. I'm going to ask, if you are a teacher administrator, public school, private school, home school, it doesn't matter. I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet right now if you're a teacher. Don't be ashamed. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody else, can we give them a round of applause? <laughs> Y'all remain saying, I want to pray for y'all. If you're near a teacher, would you just reach out and touch them? Don't pull them down. Just, just be gentle. 
Would you do that and just, let's, let's just pray for them right now. Father, we come before you today, and I thank you for these ladies and for these men who have answered the call to be a teacher. God, it's not an easy profession. It's a thankless profession. And sometimes it's not a financial prosperous <laughs> decision. But God, in all of your wisdom and sovereignty, you have so-called these to be influencers of the next generation and to be influencers for the kingdom of God. I pray, Almighty God, that this year, this time, that they would use this moment to live in wisdom and that they would leverage the moment that they would passionately seek to instill the good news of Jesus Christ into their, into their students. I pray for the right time when the student will ask them questions, and I pray that they'll be ready with the gospel. For the administrators, give them wisdom as they handle things that come to them right and left and fast and furious. But oh God, may this be a year, a year of celebration in every classroom. Because Jesus saves, and you will use these men and these women for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.